John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica. And this is the High Gain Podcast. Oh, the High Gain Podcast, sunny, sunny heat. Yeah, yeah, it's a little warm today here in beautiful West Seattle. Supposed to get up into the 90s, Ed. I was down in Palm Springs and it was 118. But for whatever reason, like 90 in Seattle, oof, it's brutal. Well, maybe you should just uh, go up on the roof and sunbathe later. Brutal. Oh. What are we going to talk about today, John? Guitars, Ed. Can you believe it? I love it. I straightened up after last week's little water tank fiasco. Yeah. And uh, I like sitting here and looking at all my guitars. Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder what the average number of guitars owned by listeners is. Oh. You know what I mean? Well, gee, viewers, if you want to uh, get in touch with us any way you like and tell us how many guitars you have, yeah, we could do a little informal, anecdotal, unscientific analysis there. I think I have eight right now. Eight electrics. That's probably higher than the average, right? I would think. What's your electric number? Just electric? Yeah. Uh, including basses? No. Electric guitars with six strings. 10? Really? Yeah. And then across brands, I've got like Ernie Ball Music Man, Harmony, Abernathy, Fender, Gibson, Rickenbacker. Yeah, I've got probably the same with the exception of the Music Man. Do you have a Harmony? No. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You have a Harmony. (laughs) And you've got a Hagstrom. I've got a Hagstrom. I also have a Dan Electro Baritone. Oh, that's right. The majority are Fenders. Yeah. Your Fender collection is... Pretty sweet. It's looking pretty good.
changes. I know that sounded rocky, Ed, but trust me, it was see no evil from television. Television is sort of one of those holes in my musical vocabulary, you know? That's supposed to be going on sort of at the same time. Okay. Maybe in the future times, I'll put that in there with it. I can't wait. Then I should ask you. Yeah. How do you think what I did in the future sounded? I love it. You get to those overdubs and whatnot. You throw a little effects in there. Beautiful. (laughs) Do you think I saved Cradle of Filth? You know, (laughs) that was rough, man. That's just not really my thing, you know. I think I picked it because inherently, Ed, you and I are open-minded, fair people. (laughs) Not afraid of change, not afraid to try something new. Progressive. That's right. Proggy. Exactly. What do you got? I am back into the sweet, sweet orca stash that Jan sent us. Oh, man. Orca Jan. Orca Jan. Yeah. This is an Americana beverage. Yeah. A flavor I would not normally have. It is honey cream. Ooh, that sounds pretty good to me. That might be one that I would have. But we had to split them up. I took half, you took half. Guess what I've got? What? I've got an Orca beverage, premium, non-alcoholic, butterscotch beer for all ages. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. This is a funny one because, you know, Orca, their branding is kind of legacy old school. Right. But this one is very much tapping into kind of a Harry Potter thing. What? There's broomsticks on it. Ooh. And then the font is kind of in a Harry Pottery camp, I would say. And it says approved by the Ministry of Magical Foods and Drinks. Is that a thing? Yeah, there's like a bunch of ministry things in Harry Potter. Like, I've never read the books, but, you know, I saw the movies. I don't know. There's like the Ministry of Magic, right? And this is approved by the Ministry of Magical Foods and Drinks. I think it's just an homage to Mr. Potter. Does it taste like beer or butterscotch? Butterscotch beer, but, you know, it's butterscotch beer for all ages. Yeah, it's delicious butterscotch. Yep. You know? Yep. Very clearly non-alcoholic. Hey, Ed. Yeah. You know what this thing is I was playing? I kind of do, yeah. It's a Fender Jaguar. This is not any old Fender Jaguar, Ed. No. This is a master-built heavy relic Fender Jaguar. It's really, 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 really cool looking. Yeah. Back in the day, Fender had a finish called Pelham Blue. Not sparkly necessarily, just a lovely metallic blue. It's beautiful. They would cover it with nitrocellulose lacquer as a clear coat, and off to the races you went. Over the years, as a guitar would wear, because you're playing a gig every night, that clear coat would wear away, and you could see, in turn, the original blue, and then if you rub it even further, then you'll see the primer, and if you rub it a lot, you'll see the bare wood underneath there. Also, as a clear coat ages over time, it turns yellow, which would make a Pelham Blue guitar appear green. That is what we have here, a deliberately relic guitar made to look like that. I thought it was supposed to be a refind that had rubbed out, and then you could see the Pelham Blue under that. The closest thing I could think, if it was an actual green color, would be like a Sherwood green, maybe? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought it was a Sherwood green refin that then wears off, and you see the Pelham under that, and then the wood under that. That's what I thought it was. I'm looking for that guitar on ThunderRoadGuitars.com. That's where we got this, Ed. 
Uncle Frank and the Boys. It says recreating a 1962 Jaguar that has been refinished and then worn down by time. Oh, come on, John. In that case, I stand corrected. The refin was supposed to be a Sherwood Green type thing. Yeah. However, I'm sure anybody who has seen a super old aged Pelham blue guitar that has gone green can attest to this. I get you. Let's begin at the beginning, shall we? <laughs> okay, let's do that. This is an offset bodied guitar. There are two pickups in it. These are single coil pickups. Yep. There are two circuits. On the top bout, there is a metal plate that has some controls. That's one circuit. Yep. On the bottom bout, there are a couple of metal plates that have some controls. That's the other circuit. And then there's an up and down switch. If I switch up, I get what's called the rhythm circuit. That activates only the neck pickup, and all you have are volume and tone. That's tone all the way up. That's tone all the way rolled back. You could set that where you wanted it to be. So if I'm in the lead circuit doing my wankular stuff, and then somebody says, dude, play the rhythm. You suck at lead. I can say, oh, sorry, and go back. Or you could be good at both. That would have to be somebody else. Or you could be bad at both, and then it could be me. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's the rhythm circuit. In the lead circuit, you get three on and off switches, and the tone and volume, same as the other. I've got both pickups on right now. There are two pickups, but why three switches? You might be asking. Yeah. First switch is the neck pickup. When you say first, you mean the switch closest to the headstock. Yeah. Okay. I am going to now turn on just the bridge pickup. Yeah, you can hear that. So what's the middle switch do? That is the bridge pickup. Okay. You're probably asking yourself, but then what's that third switch? I am, yes. It turns on and off a high-pass capacitor. Oh, okay. So it only lets the higher frequencies through. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Without. With. I can hear the bass kick in when I turn it off. Yeah. I think I would be like a Jay Massis who just gets one of those guitars and then tapes that selector into the lead circuit and just never touches it. Right. I have owned Jaguars and I've owned Jazzmasters and I have always felt like all that stuff, it's just too much. Maybe it's one of those things where if you're recording and you're really trying to dial in a tone, yeah, like having all that variance in there is cool, I suppose. But trying to fuck around with that stuff when you're playing live just seems like a lot. I could see wanting a very muted sound. I'm in the rhythm circuit. Hit it. And now I'm in the lead circuit. Sure. That's the layout of this thing. Oh, and there's a trem arm. Sure. The trem arm is different from the tremolo system on a Stratocaster. The whole bridge moves when you engage the arm. This was meant to hopefully keep it more in tune. Okay. Okay, so that's the quick rundown of what this thing looks like. Right. Why did they make it? Because the Jazzmaster already existed. 1958. The Jaguar, 1962. Great. 
Yes, if you're doing your homework. Those are the years. Why would they do that? They've already got an offset body with two pickups and two circuits in it. Yep. Well, the Jazzmaster has a longer scale length, which puts the bridge farther away from the end of the body. Okay. So then they're like, okay, let's make a shorter neck, 24-inch scale length, meant to appeal to like all the people used to Gibson-y scale length things. I don't know if it did. I've had a couple of Jazzmasters now. The last one I had was like a real 1963 Jazzmaster, and I don't know if it's the scale length or not, but I have never been able to just gel with a Jazzmaster. I never have. I think they had a lot of people that were feeling that way. Yeah. Also, the shallower pickups on the Jazzmaster... Yeah. Gave the instrument an overall mellower sound. You could have a Strat, you could have a Tele, and you can get that kind of cutting tone with it. Same as you can with this. So they switched to a more normal-sized single coil for the Jaguar, and they each sit in a kind of notched metal cradle. Yeah. And that is meant to dissipate RF interference and focus the magnetic particles from the pole bangers. Sure. That worked, and people seemed to like it. Do you know how much this thing was when it came out in 1962, Ed? 1962, that was $434. That is not a bad guess, Ed. Yeah? It was $379.50. Yeah. It was top of the line. I kind of think my initial gut number was a little lower than what I went with. Oh. But yeah. Yeah, that's uh, $3,255 in today dollars. That's a pretty top-of-the-line guitar, sure. By comparison, for about three grand even, you could get a Jazzmaster. Yeah. 2200 bucks would have gotten you a Stratocaster, and then 1800 bucks would have gotten you a Telecaster. Yeah, interesting. Even though the Jags and the Jazzmasters are rarer, there were fewer of them made. That's right. Like a 62 Strat is going to be worth more than a 62 Jazzmaster today, like on average. I think that is correct. That seems right to me. You buy a Strat in 1962 and hold on to it until 2020. Yeah. Or you buy a Jazzmaster and hold on to it. You're better off with the Strat. Yeah. So, 1962, they came out. How were they received, Ed? Were people, like, kicking in doors to get these things or what? Both the Jazzmaster and the Jaguar were not massively popular. They were not. With one exception, the surf crowd. Yeah. The surf crowd with their surfular music. Sure. Like that? I was playing surf. I love it. Yeah. I love it when you do that. I'm pretty good at surf. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the surf dudes liked it. Sure. Ironically, as that kind of music faded, yeah. so did the fortunes of the offset guitars. The difference is... In a 62 Strat and a 62 Jaguar. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Fender Jaguar, 1962, pre-CBS Olympic White. Okay. This is the cheapest one. What do you think that is? I guess eight. $39.95. Okay, 4000 The most expensive one, matching headstock, Olympic White matching headstock, looks beautiful. Not a refin. Good wear, but the right kind. Right. That's 10 grand. Okay. By contrast, a 62 Strat. We're reversing the game, John. I'm going to say at least that. Give me the number. Let's say 15. The cheapest 
62 Strat is $18,000. Wow. And the most expensive 62 Strat is 60. Yeah. There's a massive delta between Jags and Strats. Wow. I wonder how much of that was cultural. Around this time in the 60s, things start shifting musically, and the guitar heroes, Clapton, Hendrix. Yeah, totally. They're playing the strats and the tellies, and they're not really playing the offsets. And so maybe a lot of that figures into desirability over time, and then that turns into nostalgia, turns into, oh, I have a bunch of money now that I'm a blues lawyer. (laughs) Yeah, I love those dudes. Yeah, the blues lawyers? Yeah, they're great. Yeah. So, as the years go by and surf falls from favor a little bit and people aren't really digging these offsets, Fender tries a bunch of different things to maybe spark interest. Sure. 65, they go from clay dot inlays to the fake pearl dot inlays on the fretboard. Mm-hmm. Maybe that makes it look sparklier. I don't know. And they go from the kind of tortoiseshell pickguard to the three-ply white, black, white. Yep. They're trying to make this thing fancier. Mm-hmm. I guess it didn't work too well. In 1966, they put binding on the neck. Yeah. And they go to those big block inlays. And the frets. That is my least favorite of the looks of those things. Jags and jazz masters with binding on the neck and those huge ass blocks and just dumb. Ostentatious. We don't need fancy boy fenders. Then in 1969, mm-hmm. that's when they begin their polyester finishes. Kind of feels like the coating on a bowling ball or something. Yeah, that's a bummer. Because man, those pre-CBS guitars just the colors over time are just so beautiful in comparison to most of those 70s guitars yeah it's hard to find a 70s fender that's beat to hell because the finish is so durable yeah if it is it's like there's actual like divots taken out of the guitar (laughs) the only way you can actually get through that finish is you know if you've dropped the fucking thing on concrete yeah and it just like took a chunk out of it yep well none of this stuff really worked ed and by 1975 you know what they did what they do ed what they do ed they shit canned it sayonara yeah dudes the fender jaguar yeah discontinued no thanks i'm gonna go grab some coffee okay i'm actually gonna go pee I'm back. Welcome back, Ed. Thanks, John. Yeah. You know, I've got some modulation going. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I got that Lillian pedal. Mm-hmm. Walrus audio. Yes. It's like a phaser, vibrato kind of thing. That's really nice. There are a bunch of different settings on it. You could do stuff with it. Love it. And then our good friends over at Old Blood Noise Endeavors, courtesy of them, we have a visitor pedal which is a kind of similar modulating form factor. So I just went ahead and put it on alongside the Lillian. Yeah. Is that pretty cool? Yeah. So what settings do you have going on the visitor? Because the visitor's got that weird like tremolo chorus phaser. Yes. I have the chorus and the phaser. There's a setting that you can like detune. Let's see if I put it on that. Okay, this is just the visitor. Yeah, that's pretty great. We're out in the woods. Up here in the northwest. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It's foggy. Yes. Kind of damp. We don't know where we're going. All we know is that it's out there. All we have to do is stay alive till we can hit the main road. And maybe, oh, there's a car. Quick, Ed, flag it down. Oh, God. Roll credits. That's great. That's some, like, David Lynch shit. That's some, you know, Blue Velvet stuff you've got going on there. Yeah. Okay, so uh, it's discontinued in 1975. Yep. What happens also in 1975, Ed, coincidentally? I don't know. The punks, man. The punks and the new wavers. <laughs> they enter the scene with their punk and new wavy haircuts. We're going to talk about the punks, and then you're going to like somehow talk about Elvis Costello, right? I don't have to if you don't want me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What they were looking for, I think part of the ethos of the punk movement, mm-hmm. They didn't want to use anything that was seen as overly commercial or mainstream. Right, sure. In terms of gear. Combine that with the fact that they didn't have much money anyway, and you arrive at the Jazzmasters and the Jaguars. Wow, I can get this cheap. The mainstream doesn't like them. Not many people are playing them. Yeah. We talked about television in that time frame. Elvis Costello, yes, in that time frame. A lot of those bands were picking these up for cheap. A lot of those punk bands. Yeah. Yeah, which is very funny considering it's the thing that's cool because no one has it, but no one has it because it was like the most expensive guitar. And these guys just happened to be able to get them for no money because no one wanted them. Right. Because they were so fancy, they were seen as kind of sonically more flexible. You could do shit with them. Oh, sure. All that room behind the bridge, the strings go way back into the tailpiece. So like people were doing that. Yep. Like your boy, Kevin Shields, my bloody <sighs> Valentine, who's doing a lot of that with feedback. Yes. Distortion. That needs more fuzz, clearly. Oh, does it now? Do you have some fuzz for me? Oh, I might have a little here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Whoa. That's cool. Yes. What is that? The high notes? Well, I mean, just what was that fuzz pedal? Was that a brother's? It was not. That is uh, our good friend's Death by Audio. Okay. That was the fuzz war going into the Mantic Flex Pro 2. And then uh, me playing behind the bridge, plucking those strings to get those high sounds. I love the fuzz war. God damn, that pedal's great. I gotta say, we've already talked about... I'm gonna put this on here. The 1981 Inventions DRV pedal as being our solid go-to transparent overdrive. Yep. If you need an overdrive, maybe you want to get that. Right. Maybe the Fuzz War is in the same category, do you think? If you can only have one Fuzz pedal. Desert Island Fuzz? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I've been using my Earthquaker Life pedal a lot. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, the Fuzz War is not nearly as versatile, but like you turn that thing on, no matter how you have it set, it sounds awesome. It's a toolbox fuzz. Yep, way into it. Because of all that kind of flexibility and that kind of 
that kind of stuff. Others picked up on that too, going into the 80s and the 90s. We know Kurt Cobain, of course. Frank Black, Jay Maskus, you already mentioned. Thurston Moore, it seems like offset guitars were still inexpensive. It's almost like they were reborn because of the musical revolution that was happening around, what do you call it? Alternative, shoegazy, grunge? I mean, all those labels are kind of dopey, but that's kind of what was going on. I totally hear where you're going with that, but I tend to associate most of those people with other offsets, with either the Jazzmaster or the Mustang. Who are the Jag players, the actual Jag players? Well, you know, eventually there would be the Cobain Jag Stang kind of thing. But one of the first guitars he bought was a Jaguar. He got it used from a dude in Los Angeles. Oh, really? And that was uh, what they recorded most of Nevermind on. Johnny Marr. There's a Jag player. Who's the iconic Jag player? Johnny Marr. That's who. Well, this makes the case going right up into the 90s for kind of resurgence of these guitars. Mm -hmm. In 1999, that is exactly what happens. That is when Fender begins the American Vintage Reissue Series, or AVRI. Yeah. As part of that, they make a 1962 Jaguar. Great. Prior to this, there were Jaguars made in Japan just for that market. You weren't going to get one here. Right. The AVRI series lasted all the way till 2012, when it was replaced with what they just called the American Vintage Series. Yeah. What can you tell me about this Master Builder dude? Oh, yeah. So, most people know about the custom shop at Fender. Yeah. You can order a guitar from Fender with whatever kind of appointments you want on it, and a team of custom builders that are badass dudes will make your guitar. That's the custom shop. The super badass guy... That's the master builder. He's going to make the guitar start to finish himself, the whole thing. When he's done, he will sign the back of the headstock. Care to hazard a guess as to how many master builders there are at Fender? Six. Currently about 11. (laughs) I say about because... uh, Didn't one of the dudes just get shit-canned? Did some all-lives-matter kind of bullshit? Master Builder John Cruz was unceremoniously dumped and all references to him, past and present, removed from Fender. Yeah, I didn't really dig into what he did exactly. Oh, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to know? No, I don't think I do. You know, our political leanings get voiced on this show fairly often, and... I think occasionally I will say things that would turn off a listener. I say, good. You don't like me being pro Black Lives Matter. We don't really need you listening. That's fine. Yes. So John Cruz wants to voice his opinion and be a shithead and people decide they no longer want to work with him. Good. Voice your opinion, shithead. Go ahead. I have no problem voicing mine and losing pieces of the audience. I have not really played that guitar. I saw it in person, and it looked killer. A lot of those heavy relic jobs just look crappy, and this one does not. This one looks very cool. It is beautiful. Master-built guitars are very expensive. You pick it up, and do you feel that? You feel and can certainly see 
just this like uh, impeccable attention to detail. Like all the places you might look for something that doesn't fit well or something that wasn't completely finished. Yeah. Anywhere you might look to see something that was half-assed, you're not going to find it. But devil's advocate for what a master build costs, maybe you can get an actual 60s Jaguar for close to the same price. It's so weird, though. I had that 63, and it just felt not right. Even with a really good setup, it just never gelled with me. Right. This master built, I have a feeling I actually would like more than the actual 63. I just think on principle, I probably wouldn't buy one. That's a lot of money. I guess the upside, you're not going to wonder, like, does it need a refret? Oh, is the neck straight? So there's that. Mm -hmm. You're getting this thing that's impeccable to begin with. You don't have to worry about any of those age-related problems. I'm a little snooty about the relic thing. Like, it's never been my deal. Just feels kind of cheesy to me. But that one looks really cool. Absolutely. Tell people to get out there on the internet and like and subscribe. Go to all the usual places. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody. Get out on the internet and like and subscribe. Go to all the usual places, all the socials. <laughs> Good job, John. Oh, thanks. Thanks. We have the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the high gain. Yeah. Is a thing to do. Leave a review on the iTunes. Internet stuff. Yeah. Thanks, John. Okay. See you. Bye. Bye.